0: Welcome to Wyoming Valley Church's podcast with Pastor Todd Walker. We're going to start a new podcast series today, and the series title is going to be called The Deep End. The Deep End. I don't know if you were like this growing up, but uh, anytime you went swimming or went into a water, there were, there were two places you could go in the water, typically in a pool or a lake or an ocean. There's a shallow part where you can go and get your feet wet. You can go and get an essence of the water. And kind of splash around and and not really get fully into the water and then there's a deeper part there's a deeper part in usually every pool every lake every ocean where you really are in you're fully in you're you're sort of up to your neck in water and there's two sides and sometimes people prefer one side or the other growing up i was a shallow end person (laughs) i didn't have a fear of water i just wasn't a huge fan of water and i liked having control I liked being able to put my feet upon a solid surface and to know that I had that control. Um, I also liked to be able to know that I could get in and out of the water with ease. If I was done, I could get out without much struggle or swimming. I could just step, step right out. And so I liked going into the pool. I liked the water, but I didn't like going into the deep end a lot until later on in my life. And so I stayed in the shallow end and that's kind of how I lived life most of all. I'm not a risk taker. I don't like losing control. I don't really like the water that much. Um, Literal water. I really don't like going into the deep part of the pool or the ocean or the lake. I just don't. I like to stay in the shallow end. I like to get an essence of the water. I don't really like to go on boats or things like that because again, I feel like I don't have the control. I, I like to be able to go and come as I please. And in life, here upon the earth, that's not really a big deal. It can be annoying to other people, as I found, but um, in life, it's not that big of a deal. There are people who like the deep end. There are people who like the shallow end, and I'm a shallow end person by nature. I just am. But what we're going to talk about in this series is about the deep end. There's, there's that kind of thing in the Christian life as well. There's a shallow end where, at least that we've invented, uh, you can kind of come and go as you please. Now the Lord never intended for us to do that. He never said anything like that in the Christian life. That you can sort of just take what you want, you can come and go as you please. In fact, the text we're going to look at today talks about that exactly. But we've invented this sort of Christianity that allows us to get the essence of Christianity. It allows us to take salvation, to take eternal life, to get our toes wet, but also, you know, allow us to come and go as we please. And there are people who like to deep end, and we're fine with that. You know, they like to get fully invested. They're fully committed they radically follow Jesus Christ, their neck, their neck is, or the water is up to their neck. But a lot of us are like, nah, I don't know. I'm not ready to give that much to Christ. And I want this series to be about getting into the deep end because it's bad. I said in life, in, here upon the earth, it's not really that bad. It's a little annoying, but in the Christian life, it's bad. In fact, you might even call it sin. And we're going to look at a passage today that we actually explored this past Sunday when Pastor Mel spoke to us from Luke chapter 9, about this exact thing, about a few people who weren't really ready to get into the deep end, and Christ had problems with that. And I'm going to read the text for you. It's really small. It's in Luke chapter 9, verses 57 to 62, and I want you to listen to what it says. It says, as they were going along the road, someone said to him, meaning Jesus, I will follow you wherever you go. And Jesus said to him, foxes have holes and birds of the air have nests, but the son of man is nowhere to lay his head. To another, he said, follow me, But he said, Lord, let me first go and bury my father. And Jesus said to him, leave the dead to bury their own dead. But as for you, go and proclaim the kingdom of God. Yet another said, I will follow you, Lord. But first, let me say farewell to those at my home. And Jesus said to him, no one who puts his hand to the plow and looks back is fit for the kingdom of God. Now we're calling this series of podcasts that could go on for weeks. We're going to call it The Deep End. But we're going to call the title of this podcast today, Plowing Forward. And we're going to get that from that last verse, verse 62, where Jesus says to him, no one who puts his hand to the plow and looks back is fit for the kingdom of God. I want to call it Plowing Forward. And it's about being in the deep end. It's about being invested and being committed to Christ. And you could tell in this passage, there are three people and they all have an interest in following Jesus Christ, but they don't have enough interest to go into the deep end. The first guy says kind of a deep end phrase, Jesus, I will follow you wherever you go. And Jesus immediately tests that and says, really? Because foxes have holes and birds of the air have a a place to lay down and call home, but I don't. I don't have a place to lay my head. I'm homeless. And if you follow me wherever I go, that might be your lot as well. You might be homeless. Are you ready and willing to get into the deep end now? And we have no indication of whether he did or didn't. I have to assume he probably didn't at that point. Uh, Right after this, another guy says to him, after Jesus says to him, follow me, he says, okay, Lord, yeah, I will, but I need to go first and bury my father. And Jesus says, let the dead bury their own dead. A lot of commentators have wondered what that guy meant when he said, let me bury my dad. Did his dad just die and he needed to have the funeral? A lot of commentators believe that his dad wasn't even dead yet. He just wanted to get his inheritance. He wanted to sort of wait and put his affairs in order before he followed the Lord and get all his ducks in a row. And Jesus says, no, that's dead living. That's dead lifestyle. I have eternal life for you. You need to start living for eternal life. Then there's a third guy and this guy, it sounds really noble. He says, Lord, let me just say first, let me say farewell to those in my home. Again, let me let me just go and have a process, have a period of of getting my bearings and explaining to my family and friends what I'm going to do. And I don't know how long that'll take, but you know, let me go get again, get my ducks in a row. And this is where Jesus says to them the shocking phrase: "No one who puts his hand to the plow and looks back is fit for the kingdom of God." And it sounds like a severe thing to say to three people who want to follow the Lord. They do. They they want to get into the water. They don't want to get into the deep end, but they definitely want to get into the the water of Christianity. They want to splash around. They want to get their toes wet. They want to come and go as they please. And Jesus says, no, you're not fit. If you're going to put your hand to the plow, and back in the days, they would plow the fields. Two-handed. Put your hands on the plow, go forward, and plow the field. And in the scenario, Jesus says, "Your, your hands are on the plow, but your head is looking back. Your eyes are directed somewhere else, and I can't have that. And again, I I think in this culture that we live in, we have a lot of people in the shallow end. We have a lot of people that have their hands to the plow, but they're looking all over the place. When I was growing up, I had a couple first jobs. My first job ever was at a golf course. And I liked the job. I really did. I liked aspects of the job. I liked being around golf. I was a sports fan. I enjoyed golf and things like that. And I actually made pretty good tips there, but uh, I had to do a lot of the rookie jobs. I was the lowest on the totem pole. And I also was not a man of commitment. I was 16 years old, not even a man. And I definitely didn't have an understanding of commitment. And so I kept telling my boss things like this, like, you know, my family takes a lot of vacations. Um, There's days I'm going to need off. And I would call him up and say, Hey, listen, you know, I mean, we have to go to this certain place. I have to do this certain thing. I'm not going to be able to make my shift today. And That didn't happen just once. It happened several times. And I remember one time calling my boss and telling him that, saying, oh, you know what? This opportunity kind of came up and uh, I need to take it. And I know you expected me there this week, but I'm not going to be able to be there this week. And you know what he said to me? You know what my boss at my first job said to me? He said this. He said, Todd, I want you to consider yourself not here anymore. (laughs) That phrase has always resonated in my mind. That's how he fired me. He said, Todd, I want you to consider yourself not here anymore because basically you're not here anyways. You're here in your own version. You're in the shallow end, but you're coming and going all the time. I never can count on you. I never know when you're going to be and and fill your shift. I never know that you're going to do the jobs that I've hired you to do. So he said this phrase, I want you to consider yourself not here anymore. And I was a little taken back by that as a 16-year-old going, ouch, you know, that's a harsh way to tell someone they're done. And honestly, I wasn't that sad about losing the job because he was right. I didn't care that much. So losing my job at the golf course that I worked, you know, once every week or whatever it was, was not a big deal to me. But I I thought the way that he handled it seemed harsh. But as I look back, it was completely fitting to what was happening. I was calling up and telling this guy, listen, there's a lot of times I'm not going to be available to you. And the man considered this and he said to me that I want you to consider yourself not working here because you don't and you won't and you're done. I have to have people that I can count on. I have to have committed souls and you're not. So you're not here any longer. I want to think about a little bit. What are jobs, opportunities in this life that we have to have committed people? Because there are several. I thought of several here that I thought of that we have to have people that are committed and in our our day and age, in our culture, we like not having to commit. I looked up the other day the word commitment with a few people, and it was interesting. There were two definitions for the word commitment. One said it's exactly what you'd expect. It was, in fact, I'm going to look up the word right now. This is not something I usually do on a podcast. I don't usually take time to look up a word, but I want to get this right. Listen to the first definition of the word commitment. It says the state or quality of being dedicated to a cause. I'll read that again. The state or quality of being dedicated to a cause. And the synonyms for commitment are dedication, devotion, allegiance, loyalty, faithfulness, fidelity. All good words. That's a really good definition for the word commitment. It's the state or quality of being dedicated to a cause. But what shocks me about the word commitment is that there's a second definition. And this definition, I have to believe, is a recent definition. I don't think this definition existed for several hundred years. I think this is at least within the last hundred years, if not the last 20 or 30 years. And I want you to listen to the second definition of the word commitment. It says an engagement or obligation that restricts freedom of action. I'll read that one more time. An engagement or obligation that restricts freedom of action. And I want you to listen to the synonyms of this one. Responsibility, obligation, duty, liability, burden, pressure. Do you see that? Do you notice how polar opposite those definitions are from one another? The first one is the state or quality of being dedicated to a cause. It's faithfulness. It's allegiance. It's devotion. It's good things. You look at it in a good light. There's a perspective of commitment is good. That's what we should have with marriage. I am committed no matter what sickness and health Riches and poor, no matter if it's a mountain or a valley, I am committed to my spouse. But don't you think a lot of people have the second definition in their minds when they consider the word commitment, an engagement or obligation that restricts freedom of action? It's an obligation. It's a liability. It's a duty. It's a burden. It's a pressure. And we talked about the podcast series we're starting here. That's really what the deep end is about. The deep end is about investment and commitment and you're fully in. And the other side of commitment is is the opposite. It's staying in the shallow end going, no, no, no. I want to be able to come and go as I please. If this, if this thing isn't what I thought it was going to be, if this thing is harder than I expected, I want to be able to get out. And so I want to be in the shallow end. And if commitment gets to the second definition and it feels like that, I'm just going to bail. And that's really what I did with my job there at the golf course. But There are several jobs, several careers that you can't do that with. You can't. And I just want to mention them, rattle them off one right after the other. Think about these jobs, that if they had this second definition of commitment, and if they stayed in the shallow end of the pool with these type of professions, it would be a train wreck, a disaster. The first one I had to think of was the military. I mean, imagine that. The military, the thing we think about when we think about the military is commitment, that when you sign up to be in the army or the military the marines whatever it is you are committed and in fact you're so committed that it's really hard to get out of it you are in this for several years you can't come and go as you please you can't decide hey you know what <clears throat> this really isn't for me it's more difficult than i thought it was going to be so yeah i'm just going to bail no they call that awol they call it awol when someone gets into this thing called commitment and then they try to bail and it's a really bad thing. You, you can really permanently stain your record. All kinds of bad things can happen to you because we can't have that kind of person in the military. We can't. The state of our country is at stake. We can't have people coming and going as we please. We need to know that if there's a war and if we have need to call on you, you're going to be there. And so if you're going to come to the military and have the shallow end mentality, it's not going to work. And I'm sure the first thing they do in boot camp is is test that. To say, let's see how far your commitment and allegiance go. We're going to make things difficult. We're going to make things hot. We're going to make things painful. And if you bail, then that's going to prove to us that you're not really in the deep end. And if you stay, if you make it through this process, that's a really good test that we can count on you. Because we have to have committed people in the military. Here's another one. It goes right along with it. The Department of Defense. You know, the people who are trying to hurt our country and the people in it. We can't have flaky people in the Department of Defense, the people who watch our borders, the people who watch the skies, the people who watch missiles and missile activity and terrorist activity. We have to have committed people. We can't have guys like me at the golf course going, yeah, boss, it's not going to really work out today. There's this cool opportunity of me going somewhere fun and I have to take it. So yeah, I'm not going to be able to watch missiles today. No, that doesn't work. We have to have committed people because this is a really serious thing. You can't just call off. And so it's only for the committed, it's only for the deep end type of people. Here's another one, caregivers, nurses, whatever you would call them. People that watch out for people who need constant help. You got to have committed people. You can't have a person who has a a caregiving responsibility to someone who is in great need, who's flaky, because it could mean the end of that person's life. So you have to have people who are committed. You have have to have people who have proven themselves that they're in the deep end. That no matter what, I'm going to be there for this person. To go along with that, any emergency personnel, paramedics, firefighters, lifeguards, etc. Anybody who is expected to be there if there's an emergency have to be committed people. And I thought about 9-11. 9-11 was in my lifetime. It was one of the most dramatic things I've ever experienced, even though I didn't, wasn't in New York City, of course. But living two hours from New York City, it hit home. And I thought about those firefighters and policemen and paramedics. Those people had to be counted on that day. They had to be there. A lot of people lost their lives and a lot of people needed help. And the firefighters and the paramedics had to be there. And if there were flaky firefighters, if there were flaky paramedics, it would have been so much worse. But the whole nature of the job of emergency personnel is people who are committed, people you can count on because it's so serious. It's so important. Here's another one that's a little bit more general, but just as important, parents. Parents cannot be flaky. Now, sadly, we do have a lot of flaky parents in this culture. And that's why there's so many messed up families. But generally speaking, parents cannot be flakes. You need to be committed to your children. You need to be committed to your family and taking care of them. And if it doesn't happen that way, then it's a really bad situation. And there's a lot of different angles I could go to to talk about that one, but we need committed moms and dads. And if children do not have committed moms and dads, then the family life is not going to work. Parents cannot be flakes. Parents cannot be shallow end people. If you have children, they're yours and you're committed. And I have six children and I know the cost saying, I can't just call off. My wife cannot just call off. My wife doesn't take sick days. You know, maybe once a year or something like that, if I'm available or my mom's available or something like that, she can take a sick day. But my wife does not take sick days. If she's got a cold, if she's got a flu, she, she stomachs through it. She she has to because there's so many people who depend upon her. How about this one? God. We know there's one God. But what if God was not committed? What if God was flaky? What if God was a shallow end type of person? So imagine if we had a God like that, a God that we couldn't depend upon, a God that when we called upon him, he wasn't there. We didn't know when he was going to be there. He didn't hear from us. He wasn't consistent. He wasn't faithful to his promises. We know right now that if we had a God like that, our life would be horrible. We expect God to be committed. We expect God to be faithful to his promises, and we love that about our God. But for some reason, we feel like we can gift him the opposite of that. We can come and go as we please. There's one thing I want to talk about before we close up here, and there are a couple instances in scripture of people like this, people that were shallow end people. They didn't commit themselves. They weren't plowing forward. Lot's wife in the Old Testament. You remember the scene where the Lord was going to bring judgment on Sodom and Gomorrah for their wickedness and and he told Lot and his wife, "Listen, I'm going to allow you guys to get out. You guys are not like them. You're righteous. I want you to flee. I want you to get out. Fire from the sky is coming and I don't want you to be here when that happens." So, he told them, "Get out and don't look back." Well, Lot obeyed. He followed and and got his family out, but his wife along the journey she looked back. We don't know why she looked back. We don't know if she looked back out of curiosity. We don't know if she looked back because there was one aspect of her just wanted to hold on a little bit longer, wanted to remember the good times they had. She she actually wanted to go backwards and and live in the city. We don't know. But she looked back, and in the story, she turns into a pillar of salt. And the God that we serve was, was illustrating to us this is not how it operates. If I tell you to go forward, you go forward and you don't ask questions. You have to commit yourself to this. So Lot's wife was an example of that. The Israelites were constant examples of this. They always had their hands to the plow and were looking back. They were actually, this is how bad things got for the Israelites. They were in such a bad situation with Egypt that they wanted God to get them out of Egypt so bad. They were in slavery. But what happened is they got to the wilderness and they actually said phrases like this. We wish we were back in Egypt. Things in Egypt were better for us. They completely lost sight of the fact that they were slaves to Egypt, and Egypt was abusing them and torturing them and treating them very, very harshly. But they didn't remember, and they said this phrase, it was better where we were. We should have gone back to Egypt. I wish we could go back to Egypt. And there's one more example we'll focus on before we're done, and it's John Mark. In the New Testament, we have this character John Mark, and John Mark, we sort of can see his entire journey in Scripture. And My dad, Pastor Mel, loves the character of John Mark for a lot of reasons because John Mark is one of those people who failed but also found redemption and, and came back to the Lord and committed himself. And I don't have a lot of time to look at John Mark, but there is one aspect of John Mark's life that represents what we're talking about today. John Mark, in Acts 13, was on the missionary journey with Paul. And he was journeying on, he was... going from all these towns to other towns, and it says in verse 13 of Acts 13, from Paphos, Paul and his companions sailed to Perga and Pamphylia, where John left them and returned to Jerusalem. John bailed. John Mark bailed on the journey, and he he couldn't take it anymore. I don't know if he was tired. I don't know if it was harder than he thought it was going to be, but John Mark abandoned the path. And two chapters later, we have this sort of disagreement between Paul and Barnabas, uh, Paul and Barnabas are, are are like best friends. I mean, these these guys are as, as thick as thieves. These guys are as close as you can be. And they're they're journeying on for the sake of the gospel. But in Acts 15, I'll read what it says. It says, T- sometime later, Paul said to Barnabas, let us go back and visit the believers in all the towns where we preach the word of the Lord and see how they are doing. Barnabas wanted to take John, also called Mark, John Mark, with them, but Paul did not think it wise to take him because he had deserted them in Pamphylia, and had not continued with them in the work. They had such a sharp disagreement that they parted company. Barnabas took Mark and sailed for Cyprus, but Paul chose Silas and left. He commended all the he commended by all the believers to the grace of the Lord. He went through Syria and Sicilia, strengthening the churches. Now what we have here is we have a sharp disagreement between two really close brothers and friends, Paul and Barnabas. And the disagreement has to do with John Mark. John Mark, from Paul's perspective, had bailed. He had been a quitter. He had been one of those shallow end type of people that Paul couldn't count on. And so Paul was doing such important work that he basically said, I can't take John Mark with me. Barnabas had the other perspective. He said, listen, I I can encourage him. I can help him. I can help mature him. I think we should take John Mark. I think he has a lot of potential. And a lot of times we, we like to look at this from Barnabas' perspective and say Barnabas was right because Barnabas was the more patient one. But we have to look at this from Paul's perspective too. I don't think Paul was wrong. I don't think Barnabas was wrong. But I I think Paul was right in his thinking. Paul was thinking, listen, I'm doing such important work here. And this man has proven himself to be a quitter. That doesn't mean he can't find redemption. That doesn't mean that he can't become mature. Barnabas proved that he could. But Paul was so committed to the task. He couldn't have flakes. He couldn't have people coming in and out as they please. And Paul said, I can't. I can't. This is for the Lord. This is for the kingdom of God. I can't have quitters. And so he said, I'm not taking John Mark. Barnabas, if you want to take him, you can take him and you can go somewhere else. But I can't have John Mark next to me because I never know if I can rely on him. And I can't fault Paul for thinking that because Jesus thought that way. And he said, no one who puts his hand to the plow and looks back is fit for the kingdom of God. And thankfully, John Mark proved himself to be the opposite of a quitter. He did find redemption. He did mature. He did become a deep end person. And he's such a cool story in scripture. But I can't fault Paul for thinking that way because his Lord thought that way. And the way we end today is by looking at seven things that I'm not really going to explore too much. Seven ways to plow forward because that's the question. How do we plow forward? How do we stay deep end people and not be flakes? Not be these people that we see so commonly in this day and age that are just coming and going as we please. And these are seven things I thought of. Number one, count the cost. Before you come to Christ, before you become a member of his church, count the cost. Consider what it's going to be like. Consider what it demands of you. And while you're counting the cost, count the reward as well. Consider what it's going to demand on this life for you to be committed to Jesus at all times. Because that's what Jesus expects. I'm not looking for part-time followers. I want to know I have you at all times. And so if you're gonna put your hand to the plow, I need you plowing forward. I don't need you looking back. I need you committed, I need you invested, I need you in the deep end. And he he would say to us, listen, you don't have to put your hand to the plow. This isn't, isn't, I'm gonna drag you kicking and screaming. I want you to follow me, but I'm not going to force you into it. You're the one that has to decide. If you really want to follow Christ, if you really want to put your hand to the plow, consider the cost before you do it. And I think that's what Jesus is trying to help those three men understand. I'm going to test you right now. This is going to be your boot camp. If you pass, I'll take you. If you don't, I can't have you because I can't have flakes serving the kingdom of God. So the first thing we should do is count the cost, count the reward before we commit to Christ, before we say we're Christians, even. I'm serious. Say to God, can I do this? Am I willing to commit myself to Christ? Because if you're not willing to commit yourself to Christ, you're not a Christian. You're not a disciple. If you're a part-time follower of Jesus, you're not with Jesus. You don't believe in Jesus. Jesus himself said, whoever believes in me will do what I've commanded him to do. He said, if you do not gather with me, you scatter. So he can't have part-time followers. So we need to cost count the cost before we commit ourselves. Number two, Is after we count the cost, we need to make the commitment, and we need to make the commitment. That is the first definition of the word commitment, and the first definition of the word commitment is the state or quality of being dedicated, to being devoted, to being faithful, to being loyal, and allegiant to a cause. Are we that way? We need to do that with the Lord. We need to commit ourselves to the Lord and say, Lord, I'm yours. I'm yours. I'm going to put my hand to the plow. I'm going to plow forward. I'm going to be committed to you no matter what, thick and thin, rich or poor, sickness or in health. Lord, I'm yours. And that commitment needs to be made before the Lord and it needs to be serious and permanent. Number three, we need to live with a purpose. People who plow forward live with a purpose. They wake up each and every day and they say, I'm yours, Christ. What do you want, Christ? How can I go right way, Christ? How can I please you today, Christ? I think too often we wake up and act like, oh, it's just a typical day. I'm just going to do whatever a typical Wednesday looks like. That's not living with a purpose. Living with a purpose is setting spiritual goals before you. And that's our next one. Always have spiritual goals. Have things that you want to mature and have things that you want to grow in. Have commandments that you want to look at and and seek to obey. And I'm going to include that next one in here as well. Along with living with a purpose, along with having spiritual goals, is set Christ's commandments always before you because if you're struggling to find a goal, that's your goal. Set Christ's commandments before you because we're always on a journey to obeying him better. Always. There's never come a place in the Christian life yet where I've said to myself, I'm doing it perfectly. I'm doing it as God expects me to do. No. If I set his commandments before me, I have a goal, I have a purpose, and I could wake up every single day and do what he's called me to do. That's how we plow forward. Set the goal before you, set the purpose before you, set the commandment before you. Look at it, think about it, pray about it, talk about it, go after it. We have to plow forward in the Christian life. Number six, spend the most, the bulk of your time with other forward plowers. And I don't know if that's a word or not, but we need to be spending our time, our quality time with other people who are forward plowers who go forward in the Christian life, who are not flakes. If we spend our time with flakes, guess what's going to happen? We're going to become flakes. If we spend our time with people who plow forward, we are most likely going to plow forward as well. So who are your friends? Who are the people you spend most of your time with? Are they people that go forward in the Christian life? Or are they shallow end people? Coming and going as they please. Not committed. Flaky. Never know if the Lord can rely upon them. And number seven... We need to hate our past lack of commitment to Christ. That's something I had to come to in my in my life for me to be committed to Jesus. I had to say, listen, Christ, I know what I've been. I've been a flake. I haven't committed myself to you and I'm sorry for that. And now I hate that part of my life. I hate that there was such a long stretch of period in my life where I was a flake. I wasn't reliable. Christ couldn't count on me. I had my hand to the plow and I was looking back. Now I hate that part of my life and I don't want to be that anymore. And I think that's number seven. In order to plow forward, we need to hate the part of our life that wasn't committed to Christ. That wasn't good. That was sin. It was evil. It was selfish. We need to hate it so as to not go back to it. Because if we don't hate it, we might consider it okay. And if we consider it okay, we might go back to it. We can't go back to that part of our life. Forward plowers don't go back. They don't think back. They don't look back. They look at the Lord They look at the worth, they look at the value, they look at the reward of following Jesus. They look at what he's done for their soul and they say, I'm going forward for Christ's sake. So the question for us today is, do you plow forward? Are you willing to plow forward today? Are you willing to commit yourself to the Lord and become a person in the deep end? Or are you someone that just wants to stay in the shallow and get your toes wet? Come and go as you please. Never be reliable, never be dependent upon. And for us, it may seem like it works in the American Christian culture we have. We can be part-time followers of Jesus. But Jesus says, "Uh uh-uh. If that's the kind of mentality that you have, you're not fit for the kingdom of God. And I know that's severe to think about. But I want us to go forward. The Lord wants us to go forward. All the good things are forward and all the bad things are behind us. Go forward today. Be a forward plower. Go forward in the Christian life. Set the goal before you. Set the Lord before you. Consider what it was like when you didn't have the Lord. And plow forward today. I hope this blesses you. Thanks for listening to the Wyoming Valley Church Podcast. Join us for worship Sunday mornings beginning at 1030. We're located in the Dolphin Plaza on Highway 315 in Wilkesbury. Learn more about us at wyomingvalleychurch.org. Wyoming Valley Church, a place where all are welcome.